Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. We continue our series about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center to Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org and I'm joined by Tetyana Harkova who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello Tanya. Hello. Today we are going to talk about 100 days of the war. So we made a recently an episode about three months of the war. Today is 100 days of the war. And let's try also to uh, to make some conclusions, make some reflections. So what are the first conclusions and reflections on your side? Uh, well, um, my feeling is that we are entering a different stage of war now because it's quite clear for everybody that we are not talking about any kind of special operation but about the real long-term war. And there is a kind of fatigue maybe also inside of Ukrainian society and inside maybe in, in Europe as well and maybe in Russia because now we understand that the first stage when uh, we've seen many interesting facts about Russian army which was not so strong as we believed before and about Ukrainian army which um, appeared to be much stronger than we believed. Uh, these are, all this is in the past and we see now that we are entering um, a long war and it is becoming clear for societies, uh, for citizens, for the army. And this is a different uh, mood, I mean, for Ukrainians. Uh, we understand that we'll, um, maybe we have still have months, um, maybe not years, but we are not talking about weeks. We are talking now about months to liberate all our territories. And we have to change our mindset and also to do everything possible to change this mindset, mindset um, in our partners. Just to make everybody realize that we are, this is a long battle and uh, we have to continue even if things are not changing so, uh, as fast as we believed. For example, during the first months there were many, if, if we can come back and we try to reflect what happened in March. In March, Kyiv was besieged, and Chernigiv, and Sumer region. But then uh, it was a kind of quite quick defeat of uh, the Russian army. And it was quickly a changing situation. Now, uh, starting from April, we see this long battle for Donbass without any significant, any real strategic uh, victory for Russian army, but still they are, are advancing and Ukrainian counter effect, uh, offensive is still not there. So uh, it is a moment to change the mindset and to be prepared for a long war. Yes, and we also see the economic situation that, uh, uh, that for example, Russian economy is, is coming back to a kind of a balance. We see that Russian uh, central bank is is trying to maintain the currency, and uh, I think today or yesterday there was an article by the Economist that Russian economy is back on its feet, and that means that sanctions are not uh, efficient enough. They're probably not far-reaching enough, because we understand that the key blow for the Russian economy lies in the field of oil and gas, and. Uh, EU is uh, is taking a decision to uh, uh, to to impose embargo on oil, Russian oil imports, but 
it will be not soon, obviously. We also have made a special uh, special overview and special analysis on Ukraine world about oil and gas. And it seems, it, it seems that uh, there is a need, of course, there was a need already uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to cut EU's dependency on Russian gas and oil. But uh, now there is an urgent need and uh, steps which need to be taken are not, not easy. We understand that. And they, they will take uh, many months, maybe uh, years. And the European Commission committed to cutting the dependence on Russian gas by two-thirds by the end of the year. But this commitment needs, needs to be implemented, implemented by the member states. For example, such member states as Germany. So there is a long way to do, and uh, Ukrainian economy is, of course, suffering very much. Uh, so the, the, the forecasts, if, if we announce the figures of the forecasts of the uh, decrease of the Ukrainian GDP, they will be absolutely something that uh, probably our European or American listeners will never heard of, because we, we are not talking about recession of 5% or 10% or 15 even 15% as this happened in t in 2014 we're talking about maybe 40% 30% something like that and this is only if we're talking about the first months of the war and um, a lot of things depends on uh, on the situation in ukrainian ports if they asked if they will be blocked as they are now so the situation will be even worse for Ukraine. So the urgency is to deblock Ukrainian ports in order to uh, to make Ukraine capable to export grain abroad. So this is a real problem. And if not not only not only grain, no, no, but, but lots of lots of also other food. So we're talking about grain, we're talking about wheat, barley, uh, corn, we also talking about sunflower oil. And uh, for our listeners, I would like to say that we have a special podcast on this food, the, the global food crisis, which is, which is looming, which is approaching, because Ukraine is not exporting its food. Ukraine uh, has on some positions from 10, 15 to 50 percent of the world's exports in agricultural goods, its second largest exporter of grain, and uh, as, uh, as far as we understand, about 400 million people worldwide worldwide depend on Ukrainian food, primarily grain. So, of course, this is this is very important. And the ports which need to be deblocked are not those cities which Russia uh, captured. So Russia captured Mariupol, a big port, Berdyansk, also an important port. But despite their importance, there was they were not the key ports for exports of Ukrainian agricultural goods. The key ports are around Odessa, three ports around Odessa, Pivdenny, uh, Chernomorsk and Odessa port, and Mykolaiv, the four ports which are... Which are and they are all blocked because of Russian presence in the Black Sea and about these military vessels are controlling the sea, so that's the problem. So, um, in conclusion, so now everybody realizes that this is a kind of long story. This is not about... But 
just let's recall these f- first days of war. We were thinking about, we had no idea about how long it would last. But I remember the dynamics of the war. There were things changing every day, um, really every day. Uh, Russian tanks arriving, then they dismantled, then they uh, burnt, then they uh, defeated. So things were changing very fast. Now we see that things are not changing very fast because there is a constant battle in Donbass around Severodonetsk for already more than one week and nothing is clear about the outcome, how to land this story. Uh, things are not easy in Kharkiv region either because uh, even uh, after Ukrainian counteroffensive in this region, we still see the presence of Russian troops on the ground. About 30% of the re- Kharkiv region is still controlled by Russians and they are still shelling even on the city of Kharkiv. So things are not changing. And when things are not changing quickly, people uh, are starting to get annoyed about that. They don't understand where it's going, so it's a long story. I mean, for moral of, of, of Ukrainians as well, but but for Europeans as well, it's a long story. And that's why um, I would insist that we have to change the mindset and not um, and try to, to, to continue, even if the victory will not be quick. It will not be easy for Ukraine, neither for Europe, for United States. Uh, but we have to go to go on to to to, to continue uh, because Russia has not changed its plans. What we see from what we hear from Russia, they still have this idea to liberate, as they call it, liberate Donetsk and Lugansk region, and they already have kind of access land access to Crimea, and they uh, don't exclude operation to seize Kiev at that very moment. So if they are successful in Donbas everything is possible. They can continue further in Zaporizhia and Krivirich and maybe another attack from the north. Why not? So everything is still possible and the war is going on. So we are to continue. Uh, and even if uh, it is dif- much more difficult, there's no kind of euphoria um, about the first successes. I, we do remember the first successes of Ukrainian army. We are so optimistic about the quick end of this war. Now we see that it's a long story. Unfortunately, Russia is not ready, not ready to, to give up because they, uh, they try to adapt to the same situation. And the measures adapted like an embargo story. This is a very good story for Ukraine, but it will start, it will, on, it will only start in six months. Look, in six months, so it's, it's twice longer than what we've had already now. So we, we still have to wait six months until the first effect of these sanctions, of this embargo. And eight months, uh, if I'm not mistaken, eight months to, for, for other part of this embargo. So it will take a long time for us to, to see the real change. And uh, let's talk about um, weapons. Weapons do arrive. Uh, this historical act of land lease is already here and the uh, money is already here, but we still need time for all these weapons to arrive here. And in the meanwhile, Ukrainian soldiers are somewhere near Severodonetsk and they are trying to fight with what they have. And sometimes, and most of the time, they don't have enough to defend Severodonetsk. And we do understand that it will be much more difficult to liberate occupied territories than to keep territories which are not occupied at that moment. So this is a kind of urgency. And that's not 
that's uh, and what we hear from President Zelensky and from Minister for Foreign Affairs Dmitry Kuleba and all other official representatives of Ukraine, this is really serious. We do need weapons quite quickly because otherwise the story will be becoming even more difficult. Um, and at that very moment, we don't see any kind of political uh, political uh, solution to this conflict because uh, Ukraine will not. Mm, surrender in any way. So in in will will not give up and will not let Russia take any kind any territory. So and Russia is not ready to give up neither. So it will go on. And it is the nature of today's war is different from the nature of 2014. I think because in 2014 uh, Russians were trying to imitate this grassroots movement. Of course, there were some sentiments in 2014 in the Donbass. Some people were not satisfied with what happened in Euromaidan. So there was kind of a ground for that. Uh, there was some kind of a ground probably for the so-called referendum. Of course, they, they would not produce such results as Russia claimed. But if we're talking uh, about Kherson, if we're talking about southern Ukraine, there were no sentiment of any willingness to join Russia in these in these regions so they might might have been a, a bit more skeptical with regard to western integration than central and western ukraine but the pro russian feelings were at the very low point uh, over these years because these people saw uh, crimea what's happening in crimea these people saw the war in donbas and nobody wanted really to to be in, in in this in this situation so for ukrainians of course if even if some of them would think that okay minsk agreements with regard to donbas in 2014 uh, maybe let's think how to find a find a compromise etc it it is really it would be very very difficult to imagine any kind of a minsk 3 with regard to all this all these new territories occupied by the russians and therefore russians understand it and therefore I think they they really are not un- envisaging any kind of a Kherson pop, uh, People's Republic. They want to really to attach it to, to Crimea and just forget it. Yeah, what we know from intelligence teams is that they pl- their plan is to annex territory. But another important important uh, point is that Ukrainians now I don't know in Donbas, in Popasne, in Rubizhne, in Severodonetsk, also in Kherson Oblast, they region they see what what does it mean. To be conquered by, by Russia today, um, uh, President Zelensky's office published uh, the list of cities which are completely destroyed by Russian army. It's not only Mariupol; it's also Popasna and Rubizhna and even Severodonetsk. In Severodonetsk, we are talking about about 90% of buildings, civil and inf- infrastructure damaged. So now people they don't need ideas; they just have kind of evidence. So what does it mean to be conquered by Russia? For what? Just for to see your city destroyed, to see your village destroyed and what kind of alternative can they uh, they uh, suggest to these people i mean let's look at mariupol what's happening in mariupol in mariupol there are still 100,000 people living inside the city at that very moment i 
it, it, it would mean 25% of the population before the war started. And these people, they live in a kind of unhuman conditions. They don't have any kind of civilization there without electricity. Still the same situation. Nothing changed after the so-called liberation. And they still they have to work for, for, for food, in fact. So they're kind of slaves inside and all this destruction all these uh, diseases which started in the city and in the sea as well. Uh, today the, um, uh, in the media we had information about dolphins dead in this Azov Sea, maybe because of the kind of infection which is uh, due to this uh, war conflict, some, some, some kind of posing, posing in the sea. So um, what kind of alternative can Russian, Russia suggest to all these people that I see no no future in fact for, for, for the cities they will with sanctions with all this economic decline they will they will not have enough money to invest into the destroyed city so cities so in a way we don't see uh, any kind of rational explanation of what do, do they really want so they are conquering uh, some parts of Ukrainian territory by but their tactics now is to destroy it completely they changed from from the time from March when they tried to enter Kiev uh, quickly. They failed, but they there were there were some destructions in Bucha and Irpin where the combats etc. But they were not destroying everything on their way. What they are doing today, they are progressing. I don't know, maybe one or two kilometers per day, but they are progressing due to this heavy shelling, heavy artillery attacks. I don't know, planes, military jets, bombs, and they are destroying everything. And what they get in the end, they are getting a kind of desert. I mean, ruins. And that's what, what they want, what, what they get in, in the end. And the question is, what the reason? For what reason? So it's, it's, it's a kind of a political political decision. This is not an economical idea because uh, they will need an I don't know how much money to, to, to reconstruct all these cities. And they will never do that. Like in Grozny, if um, we come back to 90s and we see what they did in Grozny, the, in Grozny they, they, they turned this city in a ruins and then they rebuilt, but only the center of the city, not the south. So, and still, if you travel to Grozny, you will see a lot of ruins right now, 20 years later. So if they, it, this is a future for Mariupol, for Popasna, for Rubizhna, if they uh, will still be in the Russian hands in 20 years, they will not have enough of political will and money to reconstruct all that. They don't need, in fact, these cities. They don't need, for example, in Severodensk there is a kind of a huge chemical industry, many plants and all this kind of uh, uh, industry. Uh, but um, that's not the reason why Russians are making such a huge effort and they are sacrificing a lot of their soldiers to get Severodonetsk. And the question is why? Why do you need these small cities? So it's it's only 42 square kilometers. It's If you imagine six uh, on, on seven kilometers, so it's quite a small city, in fact, uh, with chemical plants and all that stuff. So And you're destroying it. So And they are um, shelling, they are um, putting bombs on the kind of uh, chemical plants and they have, have a kind of chem kind of explosions. What for? So this is a kind of uh, absurd. Yes, very absurd, but at the same time, uh, a continuation of a long Russian history, which cherishes violence, actually, cherish, cherishes destruction, destruction for nothing, 
and which sees uh, its strength in a capacity to destroy. And we Ukrainians probably have perceived it in, in, in the best way, because throughout our history, for centuries, we have been facing it. So now we are on, on, on the next stage, and it's also symbolic that uh, the Donbass and uh, the Azov region are the regions which have been called historically uh, Dikipole, the wild desert. And it seems that after this industrialization, uh, which, which brought also ambiguous consequences, but still it was a, you know, this region was primarily constructed uh, in the late Russian Empire uh, by the European investors, but then in the Soviet Union. And now it seems that Russia tries to uh, come back to this wild desert again. Yeah, but if you compare what was... We were talking in the beginning of the war, so we are talking about even absurd, but it was a kind of a, a kind of an effort to seize Kyiv, to change government, to get old Ukraine. Uh, it was a kind of idea. Yeah, why not? So they kept turning us different states, so they are they are they becoming strong, etc., etc. But they failed, and what they do now, uh, I we just have some problems to understand what what they're aiming at. So just weakening Ukraine, but but what for? They are getting a lot of sanctions. Imagine three months ago when the war started, ten uh, one hundred days ago when the war started. Could we imagine? I don't know embargo oil embargo and all these sanctions and all this coalition and heavy weapons at least promised by Germany and arriving from many other countries and this huge coalition of 40-something countries in, in Rammstein. So it's, it, it could seem for us something unimaginable, you know, and for, for, for Russia. And what is good about sanctions? San sanctions, they are very um, slow. They are arriving slow, but I think that there's also a good side of the sanctions and embargo story. It will not uh, brought, bring us um, quick results, but uh, if they start, start in six months, they will not give up for for many months ahead. So, um, and Russia will be weaker and weaker with every every I don't know every six months, every decade. So it it it'll be. It will be a long story for you, for Russian economy as well. And we have to judge according to the results maybe in half a year, in a year, etc. So Russia is isolated now. And let's look at Russia's partners. We don't see any kind of really loyal partner. Even Belarus is, is making very strange steps. Um, if we talk about Lukashenko, Lukashenko started this war allowing Putin Putin uh, uh, cross Ukrainian border from from the side of Belarus. So it's, uh, but now what we see we see, see kind of tension now between Putin and Lukashenko, and Lukashenko is Putin is not happy with Lukashenko. He's not happy with Belarus supporting this war, but Lukashenko is not so much happy to be in the same team with Putin. So he's trying to play his own game. Uh, we do know that he contacted secretly um, European. Countries trying to, to 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 arrange things and to have a secret deal with them. Um, so, any other country, China is distant even in this war. So Russia is really isolated. So if it was about the about the strengths of Russia's strengths, so in the in the results we don't see any kind of uh, progress. 
But the question is, who is more resilient, Ukraine or Russia? Whose economy is more resilient? Because Russia is under sanctions and Ukraine is under bombs. And uh, we know the practical consequences of this is that uh, prices in Ukraine for imported goods are skyrocketing. So they uh, sometimes you can, if you want to buy something, uh, or you can see one price uh, this week and another price ne next week, despite the fact that the uh, exchange rate is stable, it's, it's maintained by the National Bank, but most probably it will soon be liberalized. So, of course, Ukraine suffers a lot. And, uh, and uh, the problem is that it needs much more support, also economic support, to be resilient, resilient mm -hmm. enough with regard to, compared to Russia. And there is uh, another kind of resilience, I mean moral resilience, it's also very important. Unfortunately, what we see now, we see kind of a uh, huge abyss, I mean, of this Russian, Russian world. And unfortunately, there is no other way for Ukraine than to, to, to fight. Unfortunately for, for us, because if we, if we give up, so it'll be, it'll be, uh, I don't know, it'll be Mariupol everywhere in Ukraine. So that's it. So unfortunately, with all the strength we have, with all the resources we have, with all the friends and allies we have, and we will ask uh, many for, for many more months for, for help, assistance and support because we do need it. Uh, unfortunately, there is no other way for us than to, to fight and to, to do what we can to defend our territory because otherwise it'll be just just a huge ruin, huge desert in a place of our beautiful country. Yes, and the goal of Russia is to exhaust Ukraine. You, I agree with you that they really took uh, chose the tactics of a long war and the goal of Ukraine and of international community to exhaust Russia. And it's quite possible, although it is a difficult task. Okay, so this is, was a, a podcast explaining Ukraine. We tried to make some reflections uh, about the 100 days of the war. Tetiano Harko, who is in charge of uh, international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. You can follow us on Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also follow us on Twitter. We have uh, almost 200,000 followers right now. Thank you for all who are supporting us. And uh, support us on, also on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spent uh, a very big part of it, uh, of, of your donations to support Ukrainian resilience and people who are affected by this war. And stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Yeah.